0: Welcome to Time Out with Troy on 101.9 FM.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode number three of Time Out with Troy. I am your host, Troy Langstaff. On today's show, I sit down with Emma Ritzy of the Queen's University women's basketball team to discuss the Shoot for the Cure fundraising initiative. I'll talk about some NFL trades. I'll get into my Super Bowl predictions, some MLB free agency signings, and the impacts of COVID-19 on a couple hockey leagues, those being the NHL and the NWHL. But before we get started, on this day in history... In 1924, the very first Olympic Winter Games come to a close in Chamonix, France. Uh, with that being said, here's a little bit of background information on the Shoot for the Current fundraising initiative Initiative that I sit down and chat with Emma about. So the in- initiative was organized in 2007 in collaboration with the U Sports Women's Basketball Coaches Association. The goal of the initiative is to raise money for the Canadian Cancer Society and other related local and provincial charities to help fight breast cancer. There are 48 youth sports women's basketball teams participating, and there has been a 100% participation over the last 7 years or so. And since 2007, they have raised a total of over $1.4 million in donations. The goal this year is to raise $44,000 in order to reach the $1.5 million cumulative total since 2007. The com- campaign is taking place uh, this week from February 1st to February 7th, and stay tuned to the team's social media pages and the youth sports, sports pages for more information. So here's the interview with Emma, enjoy. Um, so hello, everyone. So I'd like to welcome Emma Ritzi here to the show. And Emma, we'll be talking about, of course, you know, the Shoot for the Cure initiative. And the first thing that I want to ask is in a normal year, non COVID, of course, what types of um, activities and stuff, events, would you guys, would the team be doing to promote the campaign?
0: Yeah. So usually we would have um, a home game dedicated to Shoot for the Cure. Um, where um, at least one or more of our teammates would cut their hair and donate to cancer. Um, We usually always fundraise, uh, but honestly, we're so busy between our school and basketball schedule that it really creeps up on us. So we don't, we haven't been great at doing those extra events to fundraise and things like that. So the main event is our, um, just our game and the cuts for the cure.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I guess this year, since you guys, aren't playing unfortunately are there things that you guys are doing this year that you wouldn't normally done
0: yeah so with that extra time that we have since we don't have a season um, we wanted to put some more effort and thought into how we could fundraise uh, in different ways instead of just asking and reaching out Um, just being a little more creative with it so um, we started back over the holidays we just um, asked our families uh, and friends just Uh, to collect all of the bottles. And we just did a bottle drive and donated those um, funds to our cause. And then our main event that we did just on Monday, we called it a power hour. So what we did was each uh, one of our teammates chose some sort of exercise. It could be running, push-ups, squats, anything. And they perform as many of that reps of that exercise or cover as much distance as they were running in one hour. And then we reached out to friends and family prior to uh, doing that and just asked them to sponsor us and say, we will donate this amount for this many reps that you do and things like that. So that was the main thing that we did, which we all enjoyed.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And are those, you guys would like record those and then post them on the Queen's social media sites and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, we're still gathering all that up, but we have um, just short clips from people completing it
1: right on. That's awesome. Um, I think, I guess if we're to find like a silver lining with COVID and everything, it's people being able to, you know, live stream these events and stuff from the comfort of their own home. And also with online, um, it also brings the opportunity for you guys to collaborate or makes it easier for you guys to collaborate with other, um, teams from other schools. Is that something that you guys look into or is it sort of each team is focused on, um, promoting it in their own city?
0: Um, We've more done it individually, um, but we have um, like reached out with some other teams. The vol- women's volleyball team uh, raises money; it's a different cause. But we've sort of talked with them, and we're sort of gonna um, collaborate with them for their event that's coming up in February, middle of February. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something in the future that we'd like to do more.
1: Nice. Um, also, going back to the like you said, the game. That is normally what how you guys would promote it. I know you guys have like the a lot of um, pink clothing and stuff. That's a, a big thing. And you know the the Wilson writing is pink on the basketball. And I know some teams would even go all out with like the pink uniforms. Is that something that Queens that you guys usually do as well?
0: Um, we have pink warm up shirts um, that we wear, but we don't have pink jerseys, unfortunately.
1: Oh, that's all right. But you guys still like sell merchandise and cool things yeah. like that, yeah. yeah
0: and all nice. of our um, like tape
1: and stuff is pink. Right on, that's awesome. Um, I was also, when I was you know researching and trying to come up with questions, I noticed that you guys, your main page with your donations, I saw the goal at one point was $3,000 and then I checked later and it was at 4.5 and now it's at 5.5. 5, so clearly the public response is has been good and you guys have been getting a lot of donations.
0: Yeah, we've been doing really well. Um, we, yeah, through those events and through the events that we did, and then we also just promoting through social media. So we have um, alumni donating and things like that, that has really just skyrocketed it. And I think since I've been here, I have, we haven't raised as much money. So it's been really good to see.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I also noticed that you yourself is have almost raised a thousand dollars on your own. So how have you been? You know, getting that back, uh, that backing. Like you've been going door to door, bake sales, just sharing stuff, and asking family friends, "What are you doing?"
0: Um, mainly just through emailing and reaching out to family and friends is the main thing.
1: Nice. And uh, one of my last questions here is, um, I emailed it to you yesterday, yesterday, but how have you seen? This is your fourth year at Queens, how have you seen this campaign grow over your four years?
0: Um, I think just, I mean, I think our team, so we used to just have our team, people on our own team cut their hair for donations. And um, we've we started reaching out to other teams and so we've had people from other teams, male and female donate their hair and grow it all year long for this event, which is really cool. Um, I think also, um, just as a whole, the event, I like, think we raise more money each year, which just speaks to the effort that goes into fundraising and promoting it as well. So it just gets more and more um, visual, like, yeah, visualization across platforms. Yeah.
1: yeah, of course. That's good. That's a good point, too, that you made about the, the hair, people growing up the hair. Like, this event is only you know, February 1st to 7th, but it's, it's not just a one week thing. Like it's a year round, like cancer doesn't stop. Right. So it's awesome that, you know, everyone's thinking about it year round. And um, my last question is about the donations, you know, where can people donate and what other sorts of things can we do to help promote the initiative?
0: Yeah. So there's two main places you can go. So there's gogalesgo.ca slash shoot for the cure. Um, you can also go to our Queens women's basketball Instagram account and there's a link in the bio that will take you right to that page as well.
1: Awesome. Uh, that's all the questions I have, but thank you very much for taking the time and I wish you the best of luck with the rest of the campaign.
0: Great. Thank you.
1: Once again, I just like to thank Emma for coming onto the show and taking the time to sit down and chat about the fundraiser and to reiterate you can donate online at gogalesgoca slash cure or go check out the team's Instagram account, and the link will be in their bio. With that being said, let's get into some football. So the first topic of the day that I have is the Jared Goff for Matt Stafford trade: Jared Goff, two first-round picks, and three and one third-round pick, excuse me, to the Detroit Lions in return for Matthew Stafford. Stafford is the Lions. All-time leader in completions, passing yards, passing touchdowns, and quarterback wins, but he never won a single playoff game. He was 0-3 in his 12 years as the Lions quarterback. And one stat about this trade is it's the first time two number one overall picks have been traded for each other in the common draft era, which dates back to 1976. So like I said, I think Matt Stafford is the better quarterback in this trade. I think the Rams... Uh, won this trade even though they sent three future draft picks over to the Lions in return for Stafford. I think this new change in scenery is going to help him um, moving from Detroit to the Rams. Rams have been a way better team than Detroit than Detroit over the last you know, five years. Jared Goff took the Rams to a Super Bowl about three or four years ago. That was the low-scoring game um, against Brady and the Patriots. The Patriots won that game. It was like 13-6 or something crazy like that. But that being said, you know, I think my ultimate opinion here is, you know, Stafford and the Rams are going to have a way better future than the Lions. Um, Moving forward, J.J. Watt has played his last game as a Houston Texan. The Texans could cut Watt and be free of a $17.5 million uh, contract without a cap hit. He has one year left, and by I mean, when I say cut, I mean trade. Um, He is the... A three-time NFL Defensive Play of the Year, Player of the Year. He wants to win. I mean, both his brothers play for the Steelers, Derek and TJ. Some people say that could be a good fit for him on that uh, defensive line. He's played in the playoffs five times with a three-and-five record. I mean, Houston Texans are one of those teams that have been mediocre over the last decade or so. But you know, when it comes to playoffs, they never really do anything. Um, but JJ Watt needs needs to get out of there. He's like. Like Matt Stafford, you know, with the Lions, he just needs a new change in scenery, and he can only do so much for the team. Getting into some MLB signings, free agency signings, Uh, Didi Gregorius signs a two-year, $28 million deal with the Phillies. He turns 31 next month. This guy seems like he's been in the league for 15 to 20 years, at least that's what I think. Uh, He played in all 60 games, all of Philadelphia's 60 games last year during the pandemic-shortened campaign. Um, the second major free agent moved by the Phillies this week, this past week, actually, they signed JT Realmuto to a five-year, $115.5 million contract on Friday. Gregorius hit 10 home runs and 40 RBIs last year, and this Phillies lineup is looking dangerous on paper. Um, one through nine, or one through eight, I guess, they got guys in the lineup starting with McCutcheon, Hoskins, Harper, Realmuto, Gregorius, and so on. Um, We'll see if this team can really put something together. Last year, they were 28-32 and in the season. This lineup looks like it can score runs, but as I was doing my research, it turns out, you know, Phillies aren't really one of the teams I pay attention to, so I had to do some research on them. But it turns out they need help in the bull time, big time. In order to really compete with the rest of the teams in their division, they need some help in the bullpen. They had the worst bullpen in baseball in 90 years last season because they lacked depth on the rotation, on the rotation. This cost the general manager, uh, Matt Klentak his job on October third. The Phillies have not made the playoffs since twenty eleven and going back to like the Texans and the NFL, the Phillies seem to be pretty average every single year but can never put anything together. Um, the only the really the last time I remember the Phillies being good was when Roy Halliday took them to the World Series back in the twenty ten or something like that. But moving on in baseball, St. Louis Cardinals landed Nolan Arenado, one of the best infielders in the MLB in the last decade. Um, This came just two years, actually. Two years after uh, Arenado signed an eight-year, $260 million contract extension with the Rockies. And it doesn't seem like the Rockies really got much in return. They got some some lightly touted prospects in return. And Austin Gomber, who I've never really heard of. But then again, I'm not a super big baseball fan. But regardless, the Rockies are also sending the Cardinals about $50 million as part of the deal. So the Colorado Rockies paid $50 million to get rid of their best player. That's insane. It sounds unreal to me. Arenado has eight gold gloves in eight seasons. He's a five-time All-Star, and he's finished in the top eight in MVP voting five straight years from 2015 to 2019. I mean if you look at his his season last year, you can consider it a down year. He played forty eight of the sixty games in the shortened season, but he had an early season shoulder injury. We're sending him to the injured list for the first time in like five or six years. This guy is he's he's a superstar you could argue that he's a superstar it's crazy to me that the Rockies got rid of him he wanted out of there which is understandable and I mean for a guy that's done so much for your club over the last year what you you're not going to keep him I mean it was the least that they could do for Nolan Arenado sending him to the Cardinals Cardinals going to be another another good team but moving on instead of signings there's a retirement was just announced this last week Dustin Pedroia a four-time All-Star who was named American League Rookie of the Year in 2007, and AL MVP in 2008, retired after his 17-season professional career, all seasons with the Red Sox. Um, This is one of the guys that when I think back on my first time, you know, really starting to pay attention to baseball, he is, you know, a cornerstone, or he was a cornerstone of this Red Sox team. When I think of the Boston Red Sox, you know, I think of guys like David Ortiz and Dustin Pedroia, and it's weird to think that neither of those guys are playing for them anymore. Dustin Pedroia won three World Series rings, and he was a four-time Gold Glove winner. He went out, not on his own terms. He had a knee injury starting back in 2017. There was complications with that. He had a a knee full knee replacement. He's gone undergone multiple surgeries. Um, the initial procedure began in 2017 in October, and he played just nine games between the 2018 and 2019 seasons. And again, he hasn't played since 2019 um due to this knee injury which is unfortunate for him but the one bright side i guess silver lining you can take out of it is that he's not one of those guys that you know hasn't won a world series he's okay to you know sit down and call it a career he's got three of them in his back pocket which is good news for him um but in general with the mlb another story that i want to talk about here is the mlb pa the players association rejected a proposal by the league of a 154 game schedule um, it's not official yet, but the Players Association plans to reject this proposal. But it also included some of the interesting details. In the proposal, included expanding the playoffs to 14 teams and keeping the universal universal designated hitter that we had last year. Under the terms of the proposal, it also said that the schedule will be delayed a month and extended by one week. So you'd have to cram a couple a couple games, which would mean less days off for for a league that you know. It seems like they only have three in a 162-game season. But anyways, um, the plan was to have spring training beginning on uh, March 22nd and the regular season opening day starting April 28th. And the postseason would spill into November, but it seems like that's been happening in the last couple of years anyways. But one of the concerns for the Players Association, one of the reasons that they declined this proposal was that according to USA Today, the teams would have less desire to spend on free agents. Uh, the teams would have less a desire to spend... On free agents if it's easier to qualify for the postseason and according to the article the shorter season could hurt the union's position heading into negotiations for the next uh, cba the uh, collective bargaining agreement Um, also like i mentioned fewer days off in the shortened season is also a safety concern you know take that with a grain of salt these guys baseball is one of those games that you know there's not much action but anyways different story if a deal isn't reached between the players' association and the MLB, the opening day is slated for April first. So we'll see how that goes. Interesting, interesting um, details in that that negotiation. It'd be interesting to see a 14-team playoff. It was really exciting with what they did uh, last season. Considering there was there was some teams like the Blue Jays who were up and coming who managed to make the postseason, got beat out by the Rays in two games. But anyways, it's 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 fun to watch. I also find it's really interesting that. Uh, a league with 162 games in a season and then playoffs you're out in a wild card game that's ludicrous to me. But anyways, moving uh well not moving on, I guess coming back to the the uh NFL, I want to talk about the Super Bowl. My predictions. I'm going to start off with my predictions last uh show I I brought back my predictions. I I owned up to them. I got both games wrong in the NFC and AFC championship games, but here's my prediction. In the Super Bowl this Sunday between Kansas City and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I have the Kansas City Chiefs coming out on top by a score of 34 to 24. I think Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City offense is really good. Super, super good. And I think Mahomes is, you know, this guy's only like 25, and I think he's going to have his second Super Bowl already. I also want to mention that I could have spent this whole show dedicated to Tom Brady stats and how many times this guy's been in the Super Bowl and all the crazy records that he's breaking. And I want to point out one. I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to point out a couple here. The first one is that in Tom Brady's 19 seasons as a full-time starter, a full-time starter, there was one season where he he went he started 1-0 and then got injured. So I'm not counting that season, and I'm also not counting his rookie season. So the other 19 seasons, as a full-time starter, he's made the Super Bowl 10 times. 10 times. Steph Curry's three-point percentage is 43%. Michael Jordan's shooting percentage is 49%. Tom Brady has made the Super Bowl more often than he has missed it. The chance that Tom Brady makes the Super Bowl in a season is over, over 50%. That is crazy. But anyways, next point. This Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady matchup is Going to be one of the greatest quarterback matchups in the Super Bowl of all time. Patrick Mahomes is one of the most electric quarterbacks in the league right now. He's 1-0 in the Super Bowl last year, of course, against the 49ers, and Tom Brady 6-3 in the Super Bowl. Tony Romo was saying the other day that this is the most important game of Patrick Mahomes' career. If he loses this game, he has no chance of catching Brady's record, Brady's Super Bowl record. But if he does this, does win this game? He'll be 2-0, and he's, like I said, he's under 25 years old. Brady is like 49 years old right now. He's forty. He's 43, and he also said recently in, I think it was on Media Day for the Super Bowl a couple days ago this past weekend, that he could play until he's 45. He says if he can't go out there and put 100% effort in, then he knows, he knows he's done. This this would be insane, and you know what? If this guy's to play at least another two or three years, he's probably going to win at least, at least one more Super Bowl. Anyways, the Super Bowl goes this Sunday at 6:30. The weekend performing in the halftime show. Moving on to some NHL. Um, I'm not going to talk about the performance of any teams. I want to talk about that the performance COVID is having, the effect that COVID is having on the league. So many. There's been three teams that have announced in the last week that are postponing games. The New Jersey Devils have canceled or postponed whatever words you want to use. Postpone games through February 6th due to 10 players on the COVID list. The Buffalo Sabres have postponed games through February 8th. They announced that on February 2nd. The Minnesota Wild just announced yesterday that they have postponed all games through to February 9th. That will affect four of their games because they have five players on the COVID list. Capo Caco, the second year sophomore guy from the New Jersey, or New York Rangers, hit the COVID list on Monday. A bunch of uh, Washington Capitals players were on the COVID list for a week or so. A bunch of superstars, including Alexander Ovechkin, they are all back now. Marco Rossi, the rookie for the Minnesota Wild, is out for the season due to COVID complications. They were actually talking about recently that it was crazy how he passed the testing or physical testing or whatever it was needed to play for Austria at the World Juniors. Uh, Better safe than sorry to keep this guy out of the season. The Vegas Golden Knights and the San Jose Sharks have had multiple games rescheduled. The Dallas Stars started their season late. Every team had played like five or six games before Dallas played their first, and then they went on a tear and started the season like 4-0 and or something. Um, but I also wanted to point out that the range in games played between the the lowest amount of games played by a team is like six games. So for example, one of the teams in the NHL, probably like Dallas, has only played like seven or eight games when the Vancouver Canucks are sitting over here with like 14 games played. The difference in a normal season would only be about two or three games, maximum four. But they have, the NHL hasn't placed a, a bye week like the NFL. The NHL has a bye week where a team, you know, goes home and doesn't play for a week. So that, I think that would be the case where there's like a four or five game difference between teams. But it is crazy to see. I'm interested to see how the NHL responds to all these games, knowing that these teams are only playing within their division, right? There's six or seven teams in each division, and they're playing everyone like nine or ten times. So it'll be weird to see um, if the NHL maybe pushes the date of the regular season back or pushes playoffs, but it's starting to pile up, these covid these positive COVID tests are starting to pile up for teams, and it's going to be interesting to see how the NHL will react. But moving on to the NWHL, the National Women's Hockey League. I was coming on the show getting ready to talk about how the final, or the semifinals are going to be played tonight, the finals going tomorrow for the Isabel Cup, but no. The league has suspended the remainder of the 2021 season in Lake Placid due to new positive COVID-19 tests and safety concerns for the players, staff, and community. They posted that or released that news yesterday at about 3 p.m. Eastern time. The semifinal games were... Like I said, going to go tonight. Toronto was going to play Buffalo at 5.30 and Boston versus Minnesota at 8.30. And then the finals were going to go tomorrow at 7. And those games, the most exciting thing thing about those games is that they were going to go on national television. These ladies were going to get national airtime. This was a huge thing for women's hockey. And COVID comes out of nowhere and steals the light. There's only six teams in the league. And on February 2nd, the Connecticut Whale had to withdraw from the bubble due to positive COVID tests. And further, or I guess longer ago, back in January, the Metropolitan Riveters also had to withdraw. So that leaves left the four teams in the league. Boston and Buffalo were playing for in a best two or three series who would get the fourth and final playoff spot. But now with Connecticut withdrawing, they were both clinching a spot. And I guess we can only assume that someone on one of the final four teams um, got a positive COVID test, which is surprising considering, like I mentioned earlier, they were playing in a bubble. I don't know how strict that bubble was or what was going on, but it's unfortunate to see and to hear that that's happened. We'll move on to basketball. Freddie Van Vliet, just a couple days ago, put a record 54 points up to Toronto Raptors franchise record. And according to Elias Sports, it was also a record points total for an undrafted player. Hall of Famer Moses Malone had 53 against San Diego, listen to this, on February 2nd, 1982. It's the same date Freddie Van Vliet did it. February 2nd, 54 points versus Orlando. The Raptors' previous single-game scoring record was 52 points set by DeMar DeRozan in 2018, and Terrence Ross and Vince Carter each scored 51 in Toronto Colors. Uh, Freddie Van Vliet signed a four-year, $85 million contract last year, which is also a record for an undrafted player. But in that game against Orlando, he made 11 of 14 three-point attempts coming within one of the franchise record 12 that was back in 2005, Danielle Marshall, against the Philadelphia 76ers. Van Vliet made 17-23 shots and converted on all nine free throws attempt- free throws attempts played 37 minutes to go along with Van Vliet's 54 points. Lowry had a triple-double with 14-10-10, and 10, and Norm Powell also put up, put up 23 points. Tuesday's game at Orlando marked the start of six straight games for the Raptors in 10 days. And big exciting game coming up tomorrow on this road trip for the Raptors. They stop in Brooklyn to face the trio of Harden, Durant, and Kyrie. Big exciting news coming out of the video game territory. The NCAA college football video game makes its unprecedented return. The new franchise EA Sports College Football has no release date yet, but the company last released the college football video game in 2013. Through a partnership with Collegiate Licensing Company, um, the game, this new NCAA game is going to include the logos, stadiums, uniforms, and game day traditions of more than 100 schools. One big thing, though, that may make people a little bit less exciting is that there's no report that they will be using the athletes' names, images, and likenesses. So that means that the stadiums and the logos and the teams are going to be in the games, but no players' names, which is interesting. This... a lot of people are hyped up about this game but of course in you know every game there's the create a team or create a player and you can bet that people are going to be making up the you know all-star Alabama squad that just won the national championship with Mac Jones at the helm there and Joe Burrow and guys like you know Marcus Mariota Deshaun Watson and guys like that will definitely be created in this game to you know spice it up a little bit and then also with the internet and how things work in video games now people can download rosters so it's not that big of a deal that the athletes names images and likenesses won't be used but it is a a big chunk and a big bunch of effort that's going to be have to put in by these uh, gamers to get these players into the game so to end off the show here We're going to end it off with one more on this day in history. Back in 1987, the Sacramento Kings score only four points in the first quarter against the Los Angeles Lakers. That's the fewest in a quarter since the introduction of the shot clock in 1954. So it was back in 1987. However, if you're wondering, yes, I looked it up because I was wondering also, but the NBA record for fewest points in a quarter is two set by the Dallas Mavericks in 97 and the Golden State Warriors also matched that back in 2004. So I will close the show off, restating my prediction for the Super Bowl. I have Kansas City by a score of 34 to 24. If I'm right or wrong, I'll bring it up next week on the show. But hopefully, I'm a little bit closer than I was for my other football predictions. Um, anyways, that's all the time I have for today. Thanks you guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Stay safe, everyone, and I'll see you next week.